Hello, everybody. This is your host, Ben, and this is another episode of the Searchers Podcast. Joining me, as always, we have Chris. Hey, everybody. And, of course, last but not least, Mr. Kevin Chan. Yes, sir. Hello, everybody. And uh, this is our first recording of the new year, so Happy New Year to everyone. It'll be our second second episode after Flatfoot in Hong Kong. Um, and we're keeping the Hong Kong train going. Kevin, what are we covering this week? We are covering 1981's Love Massacre by Patrick Tam of the Hong Kong New Wave. And so, yeah, this was for some reason one that I thought of uh, covering. I think really the the one factor that caught me into wanting to cover this was Bridget Lin. I'm like, mm. At so, least he admits uh, it this time. Yes, I mean, hey, <laughs> not going to be afraid to admit that. But yes, Bridget Lin, who I know, I think a lot of people know who are like into the Hong Kong uh, scene. Uh, Police Story. Uh, she was she had a pretty prominent role in Police Story with alongside Jackie Chan and Maggie Chung, and she's in plenty of other Hong Kong films. She was one of the probably one of the top Hong Kong stars of that era. And so in this film, uh, we follow a young co-ed named Joy who becomes heartbroken and later attempts suicide after her boyfriend Louie, played by Charlie Chin, who's also another really big Hong Kong star, decides to leave her and set off for new opportunities in New York City. And as Joy's cared for by her roommate Ivy, played by Bridget Lin, she still experiences problems ranging from instability to fainting. And as Ivy and Louie decide to call for her brother, uh, Chu Chung, to come and visit her, her condition somehow worsens. Meanwhile, Chung and Ivy fall for each other, slowly leading into a hellish nightmare wherein the former becomes a deranged stalker and, disco- and other discoveries should never have been made. Or maybe they should have been made for the best. And... That is Love Massacre. It's a very twisted uh, love story. And honestly, I didn't even know what I was walking into when I picked this movie. But just there was an enticing quality about it that I felt, okay, you know what? Why don't we go for it? So what did you guys think? Uh, before we get into that, I will. I do want to have a little shout out and give credit where credit is due to the person who got this because this 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 movie is not really available on physical media oh. uh we we all watched this on youtube and yes. a yeah the letterbox handle is ren rank ls rankless i don't know rankless um, yeah rankles. Rank, rankles i was going with rankless but <laughs> whatever on on youtube they're l sale and they uh i guess got this off of a laser disc they spent $700 to acquire. So that's definitely uh we call that commitment right there. So wow. appreci- appreciate that. Jeez. Yeah, shout out and this to is, yeah. And I, I don't think we would see this otherwise cuz this seems like it's uh either on VHS or laserdisc and just hasn't been talked about since. So we're definitely delving into uh something that's not very seen. This is definitely a uh a deep cut Kevin. But yes. Yeah, <laughs> I want I want Chris to go. I'm interested in what he has to say about this. Just like Kevin, I this I had no idea what to expect. You were tossing out suggestions of what you were going to pick, Kevin, and this was this was very different, like the other ones you had named. And 
Uh, I, I looked into it after you suggested it. So then I knew it was directed by Patrick Tam, who I recently just discovered is apparently the mentor of Wong Kar Wai, who I had just seen my first yes. film of his Ooh. a few weeks ago. I had just seen Chunking Express. Yes. And um, Brid- so that, Bridget Lin's in that. Yeah. yeah and it was, um, so that was a little bit of serendipity or it was serendipitous to experience that in that way. And um, other than Patrick Tam, I already knew of Bridget Lynn and I couldn't name anything that I've seen her in other than Chunking Express at the moment. But uh, other than knowing it was a Hong Kong film, I didn't know what to expect. And the title is very alluring. It makes you think, I think it appropriately makes you think of romance, but also something very violent. Yes. <laughs> which I think which in in fairness you get both. I think alluring is a more appropriate uh way to describe this movie than uh my use of enticing. Just love massacre. I don't know. It, it, it there's something there truly is something alluring about it. And then once you get into it, you're like, okay. <laughs> it's this is very inter- it's very interesting. It's a very interesting pick. Like Ben said, nice deep mm. cut. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you picking it, and there there are a lot of aspects that I can't wait to get into with you guys about it. Mm-hmm. Then go, what you think? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, I have, I have a, uh, you know, anything Hong Kong produced or you know Hong Kong stars are in, I, I have a affinity to for whatever reason. Yes, so I, I like the pick. Um, I watched this movie. It 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 took longer than the ninety minutes because I had to t- break it up into like three settings, three sittings, and I wasn't yeah. happy about that. But I do think the transfer hurt the quality of the film just because of it's just, the colors aren't right. It's it's kind of grainy. It's it's it looks like not even as good as a DVD. But that's just the nature of the beast with this this kind of stuff with the with the film right. that doesn't have any newer releases. And this thing probably only got released in. Hong Kong, maybe maybe China, Japan, and then like a couple other countries in Asia, and then it hasn't been seen in a theater since. Uh, mm-hmm. So besides those home video releases, we're probably one of we're probably like in a in a small handful of people who have seen this movie in the past twenty years. So uh, be it as it may, I kind of was thrown off with the movie just because it went from for me it went from one tone to another to another to another multiple times. Uh, I don't really. I didn't really get before we spoil anything on the plot. I really didn't get attached to any of the characters because I think for such a big star that Bridget Lynn was, well, this is 81. So she probably wasn't as big as like 85, 86, but yes, there was not a lot of screen time given to, to her as much as, you know, as much as I thought there would be, there, there was a lot of focus on the other characters and just like these very, very tertiary characters. It, it was a bizarre movie. Uh, I mean, coming from the, the the quote unquote teacher of Wong Kar Wai that's kind of makes sense. There's always just like weird, yeah, atmospheric stuff going on, and <laughs> it's just you know Hong Kong anything new wave, Hong Kong new wave, uh, Hollywood new wave, French new wave. There's always just bizarre mm-hmm. stuff people are trying when they try to do these film movements where they're just not doing what's popular at the time. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I it's not my type of film. That's for sure. Not your cup of tea. Yeah, no, I understand that. <laughs> ben, ben might hate me for saying this, 
I'm going to say you. something. I'm going to say something <laughs> pret- pretentious right now. And oh, I, I think wait. that oh, fitting. <laughs> I, I think that the, well, I think that the complaint about the grainy VHS transfer or laser disc transfer is appropriate. I also think that there are times when it actually aids the film as a piece of art. Oh, and that's not as bad as I, I thought it was going to be. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's <laughs> fine. It's fine. I was just prefacing it because I was I was going to wait. <laughs> no, there's definitely some movies that like I can't even think of any off the top of my head, but we all this know would be that, one of them. I think this would be one of them. But, I, but we, you we might all, not think so, but you know, yeah, but we all have those examples of movies where you watch it. Like I don't know. Let's for example, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship. Sure. On all on all the movies after, like there's the the, the theatrical release. And then all the renditions afterwards on DVD and Blu-ray, like the, they cut, yeah. they change the colors of this movie, and everyone complains about it. So it's like <laughs> colors do matter. Yeah, I, I can yeah. see how some films would get help uh, from looking more "quote unquote" retro or like indie or whatever you want to call it. Okay, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I can see that. It, it just this did that didn't help me here. But well, it didn't make up for the other shortcomings that you have with the film. Yeah, I mean, I I really don't have like super juicy things to say about this i just didn't really love it it was <laughs> it seemed like a extremely light psycho ripoff to me mm, like if that's mm. like the easiest way i can put it in like two sentences uh, but Ooh, okay. for me it was like it went from it went from a romance to a thriller slash mystery kind of to just a straight up slasher yeah <laughs> which to me in 90 minutes that's a lot for a movie to try to accomplish. Well, there's two things there that you bring up that are important to talk about because other people that have seen this movie compare it to Hitchcock, which surprisingly being who I am, I did not think of that man at all. I, while I, was, I, was, waiting watching for, this I was waiting for that, Chris. <laughs> and <laughs> and second of all, I had to be the one to bring it up. Yeah. But second of all, you also bring up the note about the tonal changes. And I think that, I'm not as deep into Hong Kong as you two are, but from my brief venture into it, I would say that if you are a fan of Hong Kong, you also expect a lot of tonal changes when you are watching a Hong Kong film. We can take just for example, the regular action stuff. I think that 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 usually kind of goes from like slapstick, like action to comedy is usually the, the, the line that that those films ride. This one has a few more in the blender like romance and slasher, like you said, Ben, I think the, I think that topic along with the Hitchcock connection are interesting. I don't know if I agree with the Hitchcock one, but I do see some truth in the, um, the tonal changes being an appeal for people to seek this film out. And I think that fits, I think that fits the Hong Kong identity. I get that. Yeah. I think I, I can agree with Chris there because, uh, if you want to talk about the new wave kind of uh, realm, the French new wave, if you want to, so before the Hong Kong new wave came about, there was the French new wave. And basically that had its own identity, whereas uh, it really challenged the status quo, but it also had questions about human morality and existentialism uh, just to kind of combine it all, uh, consolidate it for the amount of time that we have. But then when you get to the Hong Kong new wave, the funny thing about the Hong Kong new wave was that that it, it brought in a slew of filmmakers of 
Asian filmmakers who were taught by the Western sensibility. So before that, you had stuff from the like from the Shaw brothers. You had like those kinds of martial arts movies where there were definitely tonal changes, but they had that identity within the the kung fu mythical uh, kind of. Uh, well, they had a idea. revenge plot at its core, it, or yes. or something like that, like a lead character to latch onto that right. you could identify with. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So then when the Hong Kong New Wave came in, there wasn't really much focus on action as there much as there was with the emotional aspect of characters so well just take, i could take it yeah. not to cut you off but i could no, no, see no, it fine. i could see it in the art direction mm -hmm. yes that definitely. that that is where i see the what you would call the hong kong identity maybe yeah. or at least what the new wave is trying to say or do exactly achieve yeah. achieve, achieve these broad paint strokes of something different like it looks like an indie film and it's it doesn't feel very mainstream, right? Yeah, I exactly, right. exactly. That, that that's also part of what I was trying to say there. And the funny thing is, is that with what Ben's saying about tonal changes, it's almost like the film doesn't really know what it wants to be. And honestly, that's that kind of epitomizes what the Hong Kong New Wave is, is because there isn't really a specific and solid identity that you can attribute to Hong Kong New Wave directors such as Wong Kar Wai and Patrick Tam and people like Stanley Kwan, for instance. Um, but really what one trait that I, I think was very, you know, that you can attribute to the Hong Kong new wave was that sense of human emotion, kind of like a microscopic look into human emotion. So that can kind of bring me to the fact that Patrick Tam was Wong Kar Wai's mentor. I want to say that Chungking Express is like, it's a blind spot for me. I really, I like Wong Kar Wai. I've only seen a, a few of his movies, but Chungking Express. I don't know why I have not seen that movie yet, and I have to. Do, I have to. I have to now. I mean, you saw. You just saw it recently, Chris. My but first Wong Kar Wai, and I, I want to see. First one, yeah. I want to see more. I was a little disappointed with Chungking. I think it's a solid mm. film, but mm -hmm. I don't love it like. I think everyone you're else gonna. Does. I think you're gonna like In the Mood for Love. That was my first Wong Kar Wai, and I saw that in college. Uh, a 35 millimeter print, like a beautiful looking, like nitrate 35 millimeter print. That's awesome. in the mood for love and like see so when, when i what i wanted to say was that with wong kar wai you kind of maybe it might not be fair to say because this is the only patrick tam movie that i've seen but with wong kar wai the way that he painted human emotion was like he basically took love and loneliness and the way he he showed those emotions like they were very painterly in his in his cinematography he he talked about them like he was a poet just painting words on on canvas so he talked about love like it was a human triumph whereas loneliness was a human ailment and sure. um that was maybe you could see that maybe that isn't chunking express i mean i i haven't seen it but i could probably assume that from loneliness what I, from for sure. yes you know what loneliness yes is exactly a big aspect, right yes and that even yes. even what you said about love too mm -hmm. yes yeah so like they, those are big aspects and like say and for also for the second movie that I saw from Carwai was uh, Days of Being Wild, where really he takes into account like fleeting human passions and sins, and at the very end gives you that heavy burden of loneliness and how that affects the individual. But he ropes people in to feel those emotions, kind of bask in those emotions with the characters. Patrick Tam, on the other hand, takes love and loneliness and twists them into human nightmares. So with 
Love Massacre, for instance, like he he doesn't really he doesn't really talk about any positive uh, facets attributed to love. And instead of them being dreams, as Wong Carl Wai likes to paint them, Patrick Tam, I felt, makes them nightmares. He's roping you in like Wong Kar Wai does, but he doesn't want... It's like he's he's trying to force you to stay when you just want to get the hell out. <laughs> so that was yeah. how Love Master was for me. It was interesting reading other reviews for this, and I think other people identify this correctly and see it. I think they see it the way that Patrick Tam wants you to see it, which is you go in expecting all of these certain tropes with the dynamic between the girls and the boyfriends. And it doesn't you at partway through the movie, it doesn't happen the way you think it's going to happen, but then it ends up exactly the way you think it, you thought it was going to go in the beginning. Yeah. Like you, like you said, like they twisted it, but you still end yeah. up exactly where you had initially thought you were going to go. And I'm not, I'm not saying that as a success for the movie or um, a knock against it either way. Mm-hmm. I just think it is an accurate, observation wherever Mm -hmm. you take that you know yeah 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 exactly and honestly i mean okay so we can probably get into into spoiler territory here but with uh so the actor who played um chu chung so uh joy's brother who falls Mm -hmm. in love with bridget lynn's ivy i don't know like something about something about him that was already kind of unsettling from the very beginning, not the very beginning, but I think it took me a while to figure out like, oh, no, 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 this guy's bad news. And I don't know. I think it really also helped just like with his acting. He, he to me, he was kind of like an Asian James Spader. Like uh, there's a calmness <laughs> to him, but then sure. you could kind of, you could kind of see that there's something wrong. That's off. just, yeah, something off about him. That's just very unsettling. And it's it just reminded me of James Spader in a way. Wow, that is so, a, that is a fantastic comparison. You think so? Yeah. I, mean, I, it's like, I absolutely agree with that. I couldn't get it off my mind as like the, as the movie was going. I just I was like, there's something about this guy. And, and then he, here's the yeah. thing though, too. Like James Spader is I don't know anything about Mr. Chin, but James Spader is like a sex icon. <laughs> <laughs> but he's still sort of like there's something about him that's like a little creepy. Yeah, exactly. There. But he has he has an alert. <laughs> He has an alert exactly. to him. Oh, well, I, at least for together. at least for a lot of um, females that I know that watch James Spader movies, it's a Amy. it's a trend. Shout out to Amy. <laughs> <laughs> but but not just her. There's a, there's actually right. a handful of others that have said this to me at separate occasions that uh-huh. there's this allure to James Spader that he is like somehow a sex icon, but also slightly creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's such a take, weird. Take that for what it is. Right, you're right. No, but I, I can, I can see how they, why they think that. There's just, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if it's just like the roles that he's played, but it's just like when you see him on screen, like it's like kind of what you immediately think. There's yes, something and, off. There's just something and, off. And what you're saying about Mr. Chin is exactly right. Mm-hmm. It's like he had, he has that same embodiment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just, I just couldn't get out of my mind. And honestly. The way Patrick Tam shoots these shoots this movie, there's even in moments when it's supposed to be normal, like normal conversations between characters, there's an eeriness involved. Like there's an eeriness in every single shot of Love Massacre, where you know that there's just something that's going to happen and it's going to be wrong. 
And I don't know. It's just amazing when you're able to kind of deliver that and execute that for the viewer. When even in moments where it, it that doesn't involve tension, there still remains a sort of eeriness to it. And Pam nails that with the art direction where Wong Kar Wai is more obvious and he actually does Dutch angles. Like every time yes, it felt like, like the entirety of Chunking Express felt like it was cocked. Oh, like really? You were wa- <laughs> like you were watching it from like a 45 degree angle. Um, oh. Or like the camera was spinning in oh, certain directions. Okay. Yeah. Very, very frantic or like manic. So like that's obvious, but you could see that Wong Kar Wai gets that trait from Patrick Tam um, where Patrick Tam is, at least in this case, is way more subtle. He's right. He's, he's giving you the eeriness through background. He's like sniveling, like a very menacing kind of kind of style. And if yes. he was if he was Wong Kar Wai's mentor, it's almost like Wong Kar Wai was like, I just want to I, I got to step about away. It. Yeah, I just want to like tell or you something. the truth about what I think. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable about this right now. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I I like that observation. That's a great observation. So, well, uh, so so I I want to dig into that a little bit because yeah. I, and I want to correct my statement I said before where I said I said that I didn't think of Hitchcock when I watched this movie. That was technically incorrect. I I thought of him through a backdoor thought that I had because Patrick Tam, what he does in this movie is he utilizes lots of colors Mm. and the colors bring me back to our episode that we covered in Topaz. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And I don't want to rehash everything that we did in Topaz, but I fully believe that Patrick Tam is trying to tell us a story through color. And, hmm. and I couldn't get, I mean, it, it felt very obvious to me. Characters are wearing, the, the, the girls are wearing either white or red, or they're wearing both white and red. Yeah. Um, there are scenes that happen in the movie that act as like breaks in the tension that have blue backgrounds and it's like a solid blue. Um, so obviously you can you could dig into the meanings of all these colors where where white is purity, red is passion, blue is supposed to be a sense of calming and serenity, which is the only one that doesn't seem to fit because mm-hmm. this film is anything but that, <laughs> <laughs> as we've already sort of established. Um, but also, if you look at the movie poster at least the one that's on Letterboxd. I don't know if Ben or Kevin, if you can correct me or help me here, but you have one word that's in red and you have another word that's in blue with a white background on the poster. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm assuming the, I'm assuming the love is in red and the blue is massacre. I would hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Unless if you read, unless if you read down up, which I I actually don't know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm I'm not even sure myself. You read, down down top bottom bottom. so assuming that it's love massacre love is red uh massacres in blue um and i think all of this is very interesting Mm -hmm. just just to say that my point is that patrick tam however you want to interpret it patrick tam is trying to tell us a story through color that's a great observation that i didn't really even consider and now that i take that into account when it gets the finality of the movie with uh chung on his on his murder spree 
of the Cohen yes. uh, house, and you know he's wearing white. Yes, and then eventually gets covered in red, and it's just like, I mean, in in a way, I mean, like when you take into account purity and passion, um, it's like purity is mired by passion. Where, yes, you know, yeah. Well, not not only that, but you have both of those things in romance, and you have both of those things in violence. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and it becomes more beautiful, twistedly beautiful, twistedly. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a very interesting and and when we're tying it to Hong Kong's identity in the new wave, mm-hmm. I think it makes it all the more interesting. Where it's it's a palette like he's painting, he's painting this picture, and we didn't even talk about the first images we see in the movie, which is a woman. Gosh, and I didn't take a note on this, but she's either okay. wearing white, she's either wearing a white dress or a red dress, and she's in the desert. Oh, Bridget Lynn wearing the red dress in, in, in the yeah she was wearing a red dress in the desert just walking in the desert yeah, wandering yeah. the desert yeah um and we didn't we didn't even talk about that like it goes from the desert and then it, then it introduces us to the characters at the park or something on yeah, a bridge to Joy and, uh, and and Louis on on the bridge when she's trying to get, keep him from going to New York and not leave me here in New, in uh, in Hong Kong I think San she's Francisco. wearing white. San Francisco, San Francisco. Yeah, right, right, right. which is San another Francisco. thing that we haven't mentioned, but this is a weird one since it's not filmed in Hong Kong. <laughs> That's a good point it too, was, then. Yeah. Very, yeah. Uh, very Sorry to de- derail that, but yeah, no, no, I, no, no. I, I thought the intro was kind of weird where it's like, I mean, there's uh, this obvious cinematography of like, all right, we're going to film this bridge. The characters are talking. You can't see anything that's going on. And then <laughs> no. the girl's just like, all right, I'm going to slip my wrists and we get this really weird, bizarre, like, slasher Dude. shot of it real quick. And then, I, I love yeah. that transition, though. When, like, she slashes her wrists, I'm like, oh, shoot. And then it goes right to the intro credits. And it's like, those yes. rock. Yes. Oh, man, okay. Yeah, the music was pretty good. It was good. Yeah, I liked it. I liked the bridge scene. Um, like, I felt like that fit better than the desert scene. The desert scene was just kind of like, it, it just felt as a moment of um, like Patrick Tim just showing off like artistic abilities. Yeah. I, I don't exactly know how to interpret that. <laughs> I guess you can interpret it in many different ways or whatever to the, cause that was Bridget Lynn's character. Yeah. That was Bridget Lynn's character. Definitely. Yes. And then they never really go back to the desert. There's no more no. imagery of the desert. It's just, was there, was there not a shot all the way at, at the, I, I, I might be misremembering, but at, all the way at the sure. end, was there not the same exact shot over again? There might have been, but I do remember that, Maybe. that they they had the same music cue uh, when Bridget Lynn was in the, in the desert. Towards the end, there is a similar music cue to sort of harken back to her wearing red, and then I guess it's kind of marrying that i that aspect to what's going on in the coed uh, house in San Francisco. Well, not coed, like all the all girls. Yes. Uh, yeah. Dormitory. Yeah, dormitory. Seriously though, if you if you go back and watch this movie now, you won't you won't be able to stop noticing the costumes the, or the, or what they're wearing. Everyone, at least the main two characters, two or three characters, they're all either wearing white or red. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> such it's a crazy. Good observation. I, I need to, I need to pay. I think I need to, pay, that's one thing I need to pay attention to more in, in, in movies is like, you know, there could be some meaning behind these colors as to what they're wearing. And I yeah, wouldn't have noticed really- it otherwise, but it was, it was so blatant to me because Tam is trying to make a point with at least Bridget Lynn's character about her purity. Mm-hmm. And, and I think tying that to Hitchcock, that's, 
that's what he liked to do with his like fe- his female leads. Not that they were. I don't know if I could really make the argument that they were all pure, but um, he liked to focus on their beauty, and true, and I think that's what the white does here. Yes, yes, yes. That is a good observation. And Bridget Lynn's character, Ivy's, uh, Ivy loses her purity, and then that's when, that's when you see sort of the dichotomy between one half of the film and the other half, where, okay, now we're just going to go into a re- into a spiral, just downwards into hell. Yes, uh, as the film goes on, and it's like, uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> but that, but that, but that romance and violence or whatever you want to call them are two sides of the same coin where they overlap whether they overlap in purity and passion yes 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 good observation that's amazing i never really took that into account (laughs) Uh, again like no i think (laughs) who knows who who knows if any of this is real but it it makes sense to me (laughs) so that's that's really cool yeah that's awesome um so uh, one thing I wanted to bring up too is uh, so so back when I said uh, that Joy found a lot of trouble in the fact that her brother uh, Chu Chung well, um, and Ivy uh, become friends, and there's always that recurring line where it's like she didn't want them to be, to become friends, and then when you see bridget lynn and charlie and charlie chin in the in the art gallery and she's wearing white in this in this scene where it's like after that it's almost like there's it's kind of like she's trying to hold on to what she lost in a way in that scene looking back at it but she does say surely she couldn't be in love with her own brother (laughs) so it's like what what did you think was wrong with joy was she was she angry out of jealousy because you know uh louis wants to break up with her and she doesn't want him to leave her meanwhile her brother and and her friend ivy her roommate ivy are finding a connection so it's like is she angry out of jealousy or is she is she in love with her own brother or is she trying to protect her own roommate from knowing what could happen i spicy melodrama yeah exactly i can't really answer that it's it's interesting to think about, but that was something that I thought of uh, as the film. I agree. Going. No, I'd agree with that. I think I think that's a direction, or at least seeds that Tam is trying to plant into the viewer. That's sort of what I mean. Going back to the, you see where it's going, but then you mm. don't think you see where it's going, and then ultimately yeah. you were right at the beginning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> where where it went exactly where you thought it was going to go. It just took a little bit of a detour. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's man makes me want to like kind of rewatch this in a way now. Oh. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think this I is something. I think this is something I would return to. This this made me feel at, like I did after I watched. Uh, I believe it's called On the Run, it, another oh. Hong Kong film, oh, and that okay. that that's one I want to rewatch again too because now I have a little bit more Hong Kong uh, context, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I I liked I liked that one. Um but I didn't like it enough to really justify it, if that makes sense. And I think I was starting to catch things here. Um, what what I think this movie, what I, what I think its shortcomings are, are what Ben referred to in the beginning with not being able, or I think he mentioned it in the beginning, which is not latching on to the characters. I don't think you feel anything or, you know, the two, the two male leads, I don't, I don't think, you really feel anything for them 
And then the two or three girls that they just kind of it's it's the melodrama. So you either have to like it or you don't have to like it. I tend yeah. to like melodrama, but it still wasn't hitting it for me. Yeah, so I get you. Speaking speaking of that on the run, uh, since Charlie Chin's in, in that too, uh, I think for his character, Louie, like they do a uh-huh. little bit of focusing on him in the beginning. Bad. Then in the second act, they focus on him more. And then in the third act, he just completely goes away. At, at goes away. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of funny that you guys mentioned him being Charlie Chin being like a James Spader kind of guy because like Charlie Chin was basically like kind of the Elvis of the 70s. Not Elvis. Like he wasn't. I don't think he was a singer, but he was just like a ladies man in, in his well, like pop idol status in the 70s and uh, early 80s. So he was, he was just like like Patrick Tam casting him's like, all right, we're going to get like the guy, <laughs> you know, the John Travolta okay. the same, same time frame kind of guy well sorry did, nice. did i mention charlie chin being the james spader character i actually kind of referred to uh quo chu chang who played uh the the crazy the crazy brother joy's crazy brother the bro- oh, so I can, you- are you trying to say they look the same kevin no <laughs> well i mean they kind of do look the same uh, they, they kind of do it, it's a little it's a little grainy it's a little grainy it becomes a little confusing at some point and they're all wearing <laughs> white and red a few a few pixels that's all yeah. makes the difference just a few yeah. pixels especially in this copy <laughs> but yeah that no, is I mean, hilarious okay yeah, i love it but no was- i mean I, I charlie chin could kind of fit that bill too yeah there is a james spader kind of aspect to both of those guys honestly but I, yeah. I think it. I think it falls more towards Chu um, uh, Chu Chung. Uh, I wasn't Joy's, making Joy's that observation. Brother. I just am bringing it up because Chris boggled or joggled my jogged my memory with on the run um, and yeah. Yeah. Yes. talking about you yeah. and the the Hong Yoon Kong Yoon. new wave. Like I honestly okay. would going back to that. Samuel Hong's basically was, a Hong Kong new wave director. He is. No, no, he, he is. I was going to bring that up earlier because, you know, like he, he kind of takes you away from the conventional hero that Hong Kong had been propagating since the Shaw Brothers time, you know, uh, but it's always just kind of funny guy who can be as swift and powerful as Bruce Lee. You know, you yeah, have that. It's Samuel also Hong. just the, the style of filmmaking. I mean, he went to that rap, like the Lao Kar Lung, uh, a.k.a. Liu Jialyang. They went from those long takes in the in the seventies Shaw Brothers movies to Sammo Hung doing significant editing work that kind of probably probably inspired Chewie Hark, which then inspired everything made in Hong Kong after yeah. that, Wong Kar Wai, et cetera, et cetera. I just, you know, Sammo, I just I have him on a pedestal because he's just pretty consistent for like a long, well, again, a ten or fifteen year period. The guy made everything he touched turned I'm- gold. Looking at it, I think he's possibly a better director than Jackie is. I mean, I love oh, Jackie's. Uh, uh, Jackie yeah. is, though, the rumor mill is anytime Jackie directs something, Samo actually had to come in and save the day. So it's, and save the day. Yeah. <laughs> I just. So, so, so the project, Project A, for example, is Samo came in and, and filmed and helped, the rest of that movie because it was a travesty before that. Was it really? Well, wasn't Jackie working on multiple projects? Uh, he was. I think he was. I just don't think Jackie can actually direct himself. Because I mean, with with Police Story, I think Samo was filming something. I think he might have been filming. Uh, I forgot the name of the movie already. But I mean, anyway, I think he was filming something, and then Jackie would have to leave set occasionally to go film Samo's stuff, and then he'd come back on the set of Police Story, and 
and continue. Like Jackie had like a sort of Buster Keaton vibe to the way he directed, and you could see that in Police Story. So, but Samo had a very he knew what he wanted. He had a he had that eye for um for being behind the camera. And it's just funny because I mean I do consider Samo to be part of the Hong Kong new wave, but I don't know why Jackie isn't. It's uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird because if they they both broke the mold on the Hong Kong action um genre. So, I don't know, it's interesting. interesting yeah, well not to get off on too much of a tangent. I was going to go back to Samo specifically since we covered Painted Faces and that was mm either produced and written by Alex Law, who is mm, the partner of Mabel Chung, which I, I mentioned to you guys on that episode, um, Eight Tales of Gold, which is definitely a Hong Kong new wave movie with Samo mm -hmm. is, the, is the lead actor and it's directed by Mabel Chung. And it deals with that, you know, the character going through an emotional journey versus, you know, the traditional uh, any kind of action or it also deals with like the immigration ah. issue with with the impending britain getting giving um hong kong, hong back kong to china. china yeah so yeah i uh my my challenge my my hong kong film challenge for the year for 2024 uh the second film is an autumn's tale which is the first mm. in that quote-unquote trilogy i know chris i think you mentioned being interested in that in that at one point so maybe yeah. you have a chance to see it in the next couple of weeks but yes uh, yeah i don't know the whenever anyone says like new wave i'm just like it, it, it's it's like, like it's kind it, of it's, icky. It's, it's pompous right it's it's kind yeah. of pompous <laughs> to me it's like oh so you're just it. you're just making low budget shit to be different cool yeah. well i think that's the whole my whole point earlier when i said i was going to say something pretentious um <laughs> that's ex that's basically what new wave is in different forms it people is, trying yeah. to do something different in obvious or not so obvious ways and they're either they're either good at it or they're not good at it yeah <laughs> You know, it just oh, yeah. depends on how how heavy-handed you are in your execution, I think. I think if you want to talk about New Wave, I think uh, maybe the Hong Kong New Wave has sort of a leg up on the... If you want to compare the two, has a leg up on the French New Wave because the French New Wave had these... had certain themes that you could attribute to stuff that from, like, say, from Jean-Pierre Melville or Godard um, or Jack mm -hmm. Demy, for instance, and... And then you you talk about Hong Kong. You have a variety. It's just a variety of filmmakers wanting to do their own thing, both uh, in terms of the message and in terms of just stylistically, they had their own thing. So the fact that you couldn't really put them in a box uh, like the French New Wave, it's that I I felt that I think that's really really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. The, the the Hong Kong New Wave, like there's Wuja's coming out of it with like people like well patrick sam had the sword the year before this so i you guys should check that out i thought it was okay mm. when i watched it i need to rewatch yeah. it but chewy hark making all these wuja movies with you know guides in the past they're like in the 70s they're like oh doing they're, they're doing a little bit of jumping crazy stuff and then chewy hark's action is just like guys jumping from wall to wall and using ladders and there, it's a lot of wire work and then that I like that's it. the logical conclusion with that ends with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So mm. you can see that progression. But then you also have just like character dramas that focus in on one character through whatever issues they're dealing with in their life. And it's like a it's slice of life kind of. And you'll have these two different type of genres. And you can just, Wong Kar Wai, I don't think he made the same genre twice. Like he just does everything. Yeah. Like, these guys are just, yeah. that, that, that new wave, quote unquote, is just like so different from French new wave. Uh, yeah, we keep talking right. about that 
but then you you'll go with like the Hollywood new wave. And to me that the Hollywood new wave is really just of oh, the studio systems gone. So now there's, we have all these like independent films going on. Like, yeah, there's Hollywood so many new different wave genres. To me, Hollywood new wave to me is like a massive budget maverick director just going balls to the wall, like mm-hmm. ego, like projects with massive egos. Yeah. Yeah, like Freakin, I mean, that's, that's like William Freakin, Scorsese, <laughs> yes. yeah, Michael yeah, Cimino, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Which is like, I mean, I, I don't mind a, a lot of these. I mean, Freakin, for instance, I, I really love the fact that the big. E- if you want to talk about big egos, I mean, Freakin, just I love the fact that he just didn't care what people said, or if anyone wanted to wrong him, he would go like, "Okay, who said that? <laughs> Why <laughs> say? Are you sure he said that?" And then it's, just, I don't know, I. I there was yeah i just loved how there were just different personalities to represent these sort of new wave uh trends in in europe asia and and right here and right here in the us so really mm-hmm. interesting stuff but yeah if you like back in college when i when we did film class and you'd hear people talk about oh yeah yeah that new wave director and like yeah <laughs> it new wave little, means it's good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. it yeah. must be really good wouldn't <laughs> so yeah i don't know i know it gets annoying there's the people that think that way and then there's people like me that are like oh if someone says new wave i'm like ah shit like (laughs) and not not that obviously i or if this is a western no no that's not a western (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i already said before there's new wave hong kong new wave that is movies that are great it's just i think it's different i think that yeah it was just directors doing different stuff and going not being Shaw Brothers and not being Golden Harvest, and they were just doing their own thing with low budgets and seeing what they could make from it. And then you you just see this explosion in the early '80s where, you know, Sam Hung's got his own production company, Jackie's got his own production company. All these uh, crazy right? students that were in the '70s, they all have their own production companies, and they all yeah. make like one film a year instead of you know Shaw Brothers pumping out 80 films in a year. It's just that's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's just completely yeah. different filmmaking styles and and methods. Yeah, and definitely you see the result. I just think that this film I really do think this film people were like at, at least on Letterboxd like it because it's just obscure. And yeah. That's, yeah. It's like, oh it's obscure and Bridget Lynn's in it, so it must be good. And so I'm it's like, gonna be great. Like <laughs> they're going against their deep rooted like feelings like you don't really think it's that great well on on top of that too it's again from what i've read they're tying it to a psycho connection as you did ben um to hitchcock and people like that in your face violence i i am seeing it more akin to topaz where again it is telling tam is telling a story through color like i said psycho very 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 light like (laughs) the end the last 20 minutes well i mean yeah, it's probably the same amount of violence. It's just it's concentrated at the end as opposed to Psycho's being uh, midway through the movie or whatever it is. I think it's foolish to be like, let's compare Hitchcock to some <laughs> random movie from Hong Kong that a thousand people have seen. Uh, well, that's that's probably a fair point to make. Yeah. yeah, but people it's the Internet. People like to make connections. And, you know, that's why it's, I like to make connections, why- too. Yes, I mean everyone does. I, I mean Kevin and I do it yeah. as well. But yeah, I just yeah. think that yeah. I hate. I kind of hate when people are like, "This movie's good because it was inspired by this thing, that was inspired by this thing, and that was inspired by this." And I'm like, <laughs> "That doesn't make it good." You're just you know, saying you're, yeah, you're talking about something else that preceded <laughs> it that was much better. Well, you know, so I got, two, I, 
I was no, going to say, go rushing, Chris. rushing, it's the Russian nesting doll effect, but also, um, that's exactly what Abbas Kiarostami like tried to say throughout his entire career, which is like, remember, art is not <laughs> all of art is just a regurgitation of something that someone else has done. Yes, I remember you saying that, Chris. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I was going to say, though, it's really funny. Just like one thing that annoys me about like all these like film bros who who say this about that film and why that film is good is what Ben's saying. But one of the terms that I'm just really annoyed by uh, that people like to use and think that they're so, so wise is uh, slow burn. I'm like, okay, can you stop saying the word slow burn? It's freaking annoying. You know, like I I remember like a compound word, Kevin. Actually, (laughs) yeah, I would expect that too. But I was walking out of uh, I was walking out of uh, Vincent Gallo's Brown Bunny when he came to L.A. for a limited for a, a limited time to show his own personal cut in theaters. And I'm walking out uh, with a couple with a couple people, and then I I hear this guy like trying to tell like maybe he was taking this girl out on a date or whatever, but he was like, yeah, the Buffalo '66 was like Gallo's like you know normal type of mainstream film, but the Brown Bunny is like his slow burn. I'm like, oh, okay. I think up to that point I had heard the word maybe ten freaking times. I'm like, wow, is everyone using that stupid term? I don't know. Anyway, anyway, and um, people just like to describe stuff with minimal oh. words as possible and they use the yeah. buzzwords and that's how you get that slow burn oh my god we figured it out boys yeah there it is so atmospheric yeah it's, so it's such a vibe uh, it's such a, yeah that especially holy sh- it's mm. such a vibe you wouldn't get it it's such a vibe this movie is just not the vibe it's a vibration yes <laughs> but uh, is there anything else glaring that we forgot I do want to I do want to make one final this is the last thing I want to say about the Mm -hmm. film I don't know if you guys have a lot more stuff but I just want to tie together my artistic standpoint here sound a little more pretentious for a minute Um, I don't know if either of you guys recall the scene (laughs) where they go to a museum they're at the art gallery yeah they're at the art gallery they're looking at paintings okay I could not verify this anywhere because this was such a deep cut movie but the paintings that they're looking at reminded me exactly of Mark Rothko, who is a Latvian, uh, this ethnic American born painter who was from the fifties movement, which was considered like a new wave artistic movement, tying this together here. Um, part of which was called the abstract expressionism. That was part of that new wave. Like Andy Warhol was a part of it. Mm. Okay. Mm. Rothko was also considered a part of this movement. So you're saying He's, he was gay. <laughs> so these <laughs> these paintings you'll maybe that's the ultimate thing you'll take away from this i'm but, kidding i'm kidding no no i know i know i'm never gonna stop thinking about this <laughs> so so if you look at the paintings that they're looking at and you look at a mark rothko painting that it looks almost exactly like his type of painting i bring it up because his technique was to use um basically you would see like floating it'd be like floating shapes or images and it would, it basically look like um, rectangles or squares or lines. So I was just about to say, are you describing Minecraft? (laughs) (laughs) Pixels, baby pixels. (laughs) And, and uh, they would be floating forms that he would show as like different shapes. Um, It'd be like a, he'd like use a staining effect in other words 
to show so, these. So shapes. were his were his were his paintings being on? Were they on display that it rather somewhere in San Francisco at the time of this? I, see, I couldn't. I don't know. I I could have looked that up. Though. Maybe I know he was. Um, he was. Um, one of his patrons was one of the Guggenheims. So I'm assuming his paintings were at the Guggenheim Museum, if that was a thing back when he was alive. Um, it's a possibility. I don't, I don't think that that's in New York. That's not in San Francisco. Um, mm. But anyway, my point is that um, the way that he would do this staining effect, his his point of doing that would be to show that colors, he would emphasize color to show how they overlap and and evoke emotions that are more complex than what they show as a, as a single color. Okay. Um, and I think if that really is a Rothko painting in the movie, I think that's just a whole other, that opens up the whole, like this whole color thing and abstract expressionism. I think Patrick Tam knew exactly what he was doing. Mm. Mm. Yes. Just look that up. That's interesting. It's, it's, it's a sustained concentration on pure pictorial on the pure pictorial properties of color. So this kind of stuff to me is if that is a thing which what Chris just said, if that's true, I think it is a directly hurt by having a crappy print of this movie. And unfortunately this movie was one of two produced by, I think David and David investment, blah, 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 production company so i okay. doubt we're ever going to get a better print of this which is so unfortunate because yeah. i yeah and it, yeah so i Unless, think that hurt i think that hurts true. the film for me uh but Fair i enough. do i, I mean, do i, I do it. like i do like these deep you know deep cut kind deep of cuts. details that we, sh- we might be able to verify if we look it up uh yeah. i don't think it's a coincidence i i really don't because like <laughs> they're all wearing like the colors are just it's it's there like i, yeah. I don't think he, i don't think Tam couldn't be more obvious about it, I think. And yeah, they can't have, they can't have just been like a, a, a coincidental. I mean, I feel I I, I can yes. agree with you, Chris. I feel like because it makes sense. It all makes sense. I, I wouldn't see why there wouldn't be a purpose to the use of this particular frame or this particular image. Yes. And when I saw yeah. the Mark Rothko painting, I everything just sort of clicked in my head. I like Rothko. Like he's one of my favorite painters. Uh, um, well, then you might be right because uh I think you might be right about what you were I'm saying. I'm no expert. About I'm no yeah. I'm no expert and I probably butchered what I was trying to explain before, but all art is trying to reveal some sort of truth and I mm-hmm. and Rothko tries to reveal truth through overlapping color um and what their properties sort of stand for not as separate but overlapping each other. Which, which is, is something that I think yeah, which is something that, that I think a lot of moviegoers <clears throat> miss out on when they go and see a movie. They miss out on that particular aspect about what this Im- what this image uh, pertains to and what the, what the importance of this uh, certain use of color or picture well, or painting is. So I agree. I agree with you, but the irony yeah. of that is, I think, <laughs> like in in modern school uh, film school, they teach mm-hmm. color theory and stuff. But I I. <laughs> I don't think I've seen a modern movie that actually <laughs> that actually does it. or does it. In I agree a, with you <laughs> in, a, yeah. in a good like people get, show me a picture of like a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. And I, there are a few Wes Anderson films I do like. But if you show me like too. they'll take a frame of a Wes Anderson film and they'll be like, oh, the colors, they're pretty. <laughs> or like oh it's thinking it's that they're symmetrical. reaching something here yeah it's symmetrical yeah. Oh, i, hate, look at I that. hate i hate the look of his movies 
<laughs> yes. And so just just for the sake of the example, like rule of thirds, that- <laughs> bro. <laughs> that was so funny. I love so, it when so bashy Wes Anderson. <laughs> so to me, like that would be a hollow use of color, where it's yeah. like it's a it's a it's a it's literally a design thing to be a design. Yes. Yes. Right. I like like oh yeah. like oh like these colors go together. Just because they look nice next to each it's other, a, it's aesthetically Shallow. pleasing. Yes, yes. It's not. Also, it's not what's happening here. Another word that annoys me. Aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, that's it's aesthetic. A, it's, a, it's, I mean, a, I, it's two words, Kevin. Yeah, I'm just. Uh, damn it! I'm mean, no, killing like, what Chris I, is saying. We're killing. Sorry, it. sorry. No, no. It's it's fine. Go my on, my point. My point is that I, it's an obvious difference here. I can read into it. Topaz, I can justify. Like, I can see the colors. I can see the intention. It'd be interesting interesting to know if Patrick Tam used storyboarding. Because going back to uh, Hitchcock, like, that's Ooh. all he did. And, and that's all Hitchcock did. With and Hong Tam, Kong, Tam, wave. Yeah. I, 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 would have to, I would have to say that Tam must have done that. Because if you look at some of the frames here, um, Again, like the shots outside the building where it's like all blue in the back and the characters are like sitting next to each other on a stoop or the street level. There's that one scene that comes to mind. Um, Really gorgeously shot. Yeah. Um, And blue, again, is supposed to be some sort of um, reminder of like a calming or um, a calming or stability where the film doesn't end up going in that direction. But he implements these moments. I think really kind of perfectly. I was going to say that like really quickly, there, there is one scene when, um, so Chu Chung has gone back to Hong Kong. This is after joy, uh, commits, well, not commit suicide, but just dies in the, in the film. And then you see Bridget Lin going to the pool, reading all his telegrams. And I think I'm not sure I might be wrong about this, but I think she was wearing white in that scene. And then when she opens the next telegram that says, I shall come back, my love, the way that Patrick Tam kind of shows how time's passed, he immediately he immediately cuts to a shot of Bridget Lynn laying out by the pool, and I think a, a probably a blue dress. But I mm-hmm. love the way that that immediately evokes that time has passed um, yeah. in that scene. So really, yes, I, I agree with that. Yeah, so I think he might have done storyboard because it's it's in the blocking of characters too, and it's I think there might have been storyboarding involved with uh, with Patrick Tam. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. A separate a separate thing to break down with my comparison would be if it'd be interesting to know if Wes Anderson storyboards. He might. But then again, the meaning does. Yeah, he does. The meaning isn't there. Like, I I don't think there's a I get it. There's no layers to it. You know, Wes Anderson, I like just a few of his movies, too. But when it got it like after I saw French Dispatch and then it's just like. It's very. Yeah, I don't want to use the okay. I'm going to use the word masturbatory. It's very masturbatory, Wes Anderson. I'm sorry. Like that's what he is. It's just like okay, I can't really get into this right now because this isn't really pleasing to me. It's pleasing to him, and he's making it mm. because he just wants to stroke himself. I'm like, I'm, that's just what it is. I I don't know. That's how I see it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I mean, like, I'm separately. I'm I'm watching. I'm watching. Um, I'm on my second film of Theo, Theo Angelopoulos. I think that's how you mm. say his name, mm-hmm. uh, the Greek director. Yeah, and yeah. I'm watching his movies, and this is no shade at Angela Poulos, but I'm seeing a lot of inspiration taken because we're talking about Wes Anderson now, and we're going on a tangent here. But it's okay. <laughs> it connects I see, to. I think I think Anderson's influenced by 
Angelo Poulos, and I think Stanley Kubrick. Probably he's, he's probably influenced by a lot of people, but again, Kubrick. Um, Kubrick. Oh, Kubrick. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, sorry. Um, Kubrick. Crispy B. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's a vibe. Bro. It's a vibe, bro. It's 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 so atmospheric, it's aesthetically pleasing. Oh. Oh, <laughs> Slow, yes. burn. Slow burn. Slow oh. burn. Salt burn. Oh, salt uh, burn. <laughs> so I I did want to mention. I don't think there's any. This movie's on YouTube, so if you got to this far in the episode, please go at least just check it out. It's verify. I'll link. My I'll link color it. theory. Yes. Yeah, I'll link it. But does anyone have anything to say about the four three ratio aspect ratio? Like I does um, anyone? I knew you were gonna. I knew you were gonna bring this. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just like. I was gonna say. Why did we do this? Do we want to save money on film? Like what? <laughs> Maybe I mean maybe uh, maybe it was an artistic decision. I think on it might Patrick be Tam's yeah. Part. It's a it's an artistic decision that just the same way as say see like I'm I mean there are other movies recently that use that ratio, but one that I can say I'm not afraid to bring him up. But Zack Snyder used it for his his true cut of Justice League, and I might have said this about other movies because I mean like I know everyone knows I'm like a lover of old hollywood you know golden age type films that use that utilize that aspect ratio but there's an intimate um way of uh just delivering the connection between characters when you use that ratio to me when you use that ratio you get more you show for well at least for snyder uh snyder's cut of justice Uh league you show more of the frame because his if you cut it down to 16 9 you're actually shrinking the original exactly. Cut. Yeah, for, for that off movie. The top to, for that movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, um, I don't know if a cinematographer could answer this question, but I'm not sure if you just go from 16 to nine on like I, I don't know if you have to change cameras or if it's just lenses, but I'm assuming maybe four three does give you more technically resolution a certain way if you're if you're filming a certain way. So. Maybe they had a constraint because it was a low. It was an indi- a very independent film. Uh, as I mm-hmm. said before, there's one of two for this production company that doesn't exist anymore. So I'm yeah. I'm assuming this was an independent, just like Patrick Tam got an investor to give him, you know, back then maybe 500k, and he went and shot a film in a month. But yeah, maybe that's why he's like, all right, I'm going to use the cheapest camera I can and the cheapest film. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, it worked. I thought I thought it worked. Yeah. So yeah. I have. For Secret Mitch this month, uh, the month of January, yeah, uh, I took two films from Jack, which he, he doesn't listen to our fucking podcast, but whatever. Uh, hey, Jack. So for that Patrick, Jack. Patrick Tam's My Heart is the Eternal Rose, uh, I'll be checking that out. And that's with mm. that's with Tony Lung Chewy Wai. Tony, Tony Lung Chewy, not Tony Lung Kafai, uh, as Chris and I <laughs> know from uh, – that infamous episode that I will not, I will not mention his name like Voldemort, but mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I will be checking out another movie from Patrick Tam. I think the sword is probably it's, it's a Wuja. It's very, I think it's an inspiration. It's an inspiration for Chewy Hark, I think for his Wuja uh-huh. style. Uh, so I think that's worth checking out. Um, I wasn't hot on it the first time I watched it, but I also watched the, Haya slash Amazon print, so it probably wasn't the best in existence. But I will be checking out more Patrick Tam's work. I like him. I, Wong, yeah, Wong Kar Wai. I think I've seen just Chungking Express. I think just that one. Oh, we're in the same boat there. Nice. Okay, cool. I, I think that's I that think one. that's correct. Uh, yeah, so I've only I, seen I wanna, three from Kar Wai. 
Yeah, I want to get more into that. Those specific filmmakers. I, I'm not going to go on a Hong Kong new wave binge. I, I'm, yeah, no. At this point, I'm selecting actors, act, like as as Kevin did, actors, yeah. actresses, directors, yeah. producers. Like, I'm Unless any just... of these new waves have Bridget Lin or Maggie Chung in it, then I'm in. Uh, Maggie Chung is definitely better than Bridget Lin. You think so? Yeah, I was. Man. I was going to ask. Hey, I was going to ask you. Hey, I, I love Maggie. I love Maggie Chung before I love Bridget Lin. I know you did. Oh, I know oh, you yeah. did. Yeah, oh, I, I know you did. did. Yeah, you knew that. Uh, basically, <laughs> just call them uh, the Barbara Stanwyck from the East. Uh, <laughs> damn those, it! Oh, those shit. pixels, <laughs> baby. Yes. <laughs> Trust me, Chris. They look better on Police Story. Just, it's fine. Oh, oh! I can't wait for Chris to get to Belize story. See, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't wait for that. Yeah, what a fucking loser that. that he can't watch Police Story. Oh, come on! Oh, I got, <laughs> I got to watch uh, this really weird Hong Kong movie, but I can't watch <laughs> one of the best ever. Got to watch this. I got to be uh, pretentious. Yes. <laughs> Just imagine me sitting back with my pinky in the air. As I'm over here <laughs> sipping a glass of wine, that I I made this wine. <laughs> oh, stamped it with your own feet. Crushed no, I did not. I didn't do that. They the 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 grape concentrate was provided, but oh. okay. Um, actually, I do I do have a bottle of it down here, or a empty bottle of it. Yeah, I oh. I, I named it La Duke. As in the Duke, the Duke. <laughs> and I, I like, got to like I got to label it. it everything. It's great. <laughs> um, Love but it. Yeah, no, I, Kevin. Appreciate the pick. Not my of favorite course. movie. It's going to be probably the lowest rated ever for me. Ooh. But ooh, it's gonna yeah. actually no. It's gonna tie. It's tying. Gonna tie with. Yo, what's your what's your lowest rated one? Oh, basket I, I forget. Case. Yeah. All right. I'm rating. Uh, it's okay. uh, my, three out of ten. Ooh, which I think. One second watch of that same print would probably go up now that we've yeah. talked about it. Yeah, yeah. And a better print, maybe it'd go up to a five or six. Because uh, I, I do think that that hurt the quality of the film. But yeah, yeah. you guys rate. Uh, Chris, go. Go ahead, Chris. Well, yeah, so on that note, while I'm in the camp that I could I could defend this movie, the grainy quality as being um, a pro, you know, to get into the zone of watching the... <laughs> The aesthetically pleasing things and the vibe and all the all the keywords and buzzwords we've used. Yes. Um, <laughs> I agree with Ben that I would want to see this in a remastered version of some sort where I could actually take in all of the art that Patrick Tam is using and all of the colors that he's trying to overlap. Um, I, I think this would be an even more beautiful film in that way. Um, but I I do I did really like this and talking about it more, making my thoughts more coherent. Um, I, I do like this movie. I want to return to it. And it makes me want to see more Patrick Tam. And I'm oh, going to do it. Sweet. Yeah. You already I'm... signed up. You already signed up for the <laughs> the Hong Kong challenge with me. I already gave my <laughs> life away. Yes. And nah. I, I am going to rate this a crap. What's the rating system? Oh, yeah. Oh Eight, out Eight out of ten. Ooh, Eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. You're yeah. fucking hot. <laughs> That's why Chris, I like the Chris is off the Chris is off the the fucking wagon, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I am in Chris's boat too. That the more we talked about it, I did like it just a little bit more. So, Crescent's gonna rate it a ten. <laughs> not a ten. Not a ten. Um, it'll just based on like the, the style used and like you know the interesting dichotomies between certain aspects of the film both both in message and stylistically okay i'll give it an eight out of ten myself you guys are crazy yeah yeah 
but at I'm least glad we I, have I'm somebody. glad I drove drug down the rating then because that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Benjamin Sandbags. Sandbags. No, I should have given it a lower than a three, but nah, it's not. It's not lower than Basket oh. Case. Uh, but yeah, six point three <laughs> average. This shouldn't average. be lower than Basket Case. Basket no. Case is. And it shouldn't be lower than the old way. The old way was the bad old, too. Was really bad, huh? <laughs> yeah. So we're. I, I'm. I'm happy with my. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm vibing okay. with my atmospheric slow burn pick. It's all good. Ben's coping. My rating. Ben's know. coping. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Just kidding. But we um, all agree I'm, we want. We would want to watch this one again. Which yeah, is I'd watch cool. this again. I'd watch this again. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Like I'd watch people, a better cut. Yeah. A better, a better cut. print. Print rather. Who right. knows, Criterion? If Criterion can get their hands on this one, they could probably give you. Give I want to see Bridget Lynn in 4K, bro. Yes, well, I think 10, 1080p, whatever. 1080p. Get rid of the get rid of the pixels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Nah, man, the Minecraft looks what I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get to some more Patrick Tam. I, I yeah. We need to watch. Well, you you will, Chris. In the next week, you'll be watching an Autumn's Tale with me, so it's fine. Mm. Mabel Chong. Hong Kong new yes I do want to do that yeah I'll be you that'll be really I'll fun. provide a copy for you so thanks no, we'll have to coordinate let me know yeah. when you're gonna want when you want to drop that one yeah. yeah whenever but yeah I think with that that's that's all we got that's all she wrote that's, that's all, all that's that was, all she stabbed that was toy <laughs> I'm glad toy. I picked this one oh, wow. yeah we're glad you picked this one too yeah yeah. All right, dude. Yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna turn into a Hong Kong cinema podcast and just keep going with keep going that. with some Hong Kong. <laughs> with that, we're out. Do we Peace. know what we're doing? Do we know what we're doing next? No. No. I know my next pick, but it's uh, either it's either your pick or my pick. We'll figure it out. We'll figure Something it out. like that. All right, Alrighty. everybody. All right. Yep. Catch you on the flip side. to the searchers podcast if you want to hear more of our thoughts on movies you can find us on letterboxd ben at giant 13 chris at ziglet underscore mer and me at kevin chan find us on spotify and apple podcasts and on searchers film until next time people <laughs>